You are listening to the Crossroads Community Church Podcast. To learn more about CRCC, including worship times, visit us at crcconline.com. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 11, and let's answer this question, how powerful are people together? Now to set this up, before we get into Genesis chapter 11, verse 1, let me give you a little bit of a backdrop. We are in the time frame where Noah, who ended up living to be 900 and something years old, I could tell you exactly, but I forgot to write it down, but we know when he was 600 years old, this is when the flood started. Noah has passed away, the flood has taken place, his descendants are starting to repopulate the earth. Uh, Two commandments that God gave, it's the same commandment. Once in Genesis chapter 2, he tells Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And then in Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, he tells Noah and his descendants the same commandment, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So they have been in the process of multiplying and filling the earth. And we pick up the story in chapter 11 and listen to what it says. Now the whole earth had one language. Now that's key. I'm fixing to tell you a story and it's going to make a lot of sense of why we are where we are. But in this particular time frame, we know that we can believe the inerrancy of God's word. In this particular time frame, there was one people group and they all had the same language. So they were together. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Now, I just need to hit a pause button so that you can understand, because right now some of you have a major misconcept in your mind because of these amazing things called movies. So I need to give you a biblical concept of what's really going on. Number one. When you think about older people, a.k.a. Nathan, you know, the old like caveman, the Neanderthal, or what people that lived back in the day, they weren't dumb, ignorant people. Like in our mind, we think of like the guy with a club. He's like, oh, woman, I want woman. Bangs her and drags her by the hair. You know, like we're like, oh, caveman, meat man, meat, meat. That's not how they were. Neanderthal men were extremely intelligent. Like, I would tell you, the further we get away from God's original creation, the less intelligent we have become because of technology and different things. I'll give you an example. How many of you remember when you used to have to memorize every phone number that you ever needed? Raise your hand. Now then, keep your hands up if you still know your own phone number other than your cell phone. How many of you know your parents' phone number? All right. How many of you have pretty much forgotten most phone numbers? You know? I mean, I'm saying, like, like because of this amazing thing called a phone, it used to be that you would cognitively had to know what your phone number was. I know for my children, it's hilarious because you would go to school and they'd say, what's your name? What's your phone number? And they're like, I don't know. Well, you mean you don't know your phone number? Well, it's on my phone. Well, how do you call your dad? I hit dad. How do you call your mom? I hit mom. Well, what's the phone number? It, it just, I just hit it, and it does it. You see what I'm saying? Like, the more information that we've gained, the more intellect that we've gained, the more technology we've gained, listen to me, it's amazing what it does, but if you think about it, we have become less competent in our abilities to do major things. Give you another example. How many people 
actually know how to garden. Like if you had to go raise your own food, how many people would know how to do that? You don't have to raise your hand. And some of you are like, you mean like not going down to the food city? You mean not going over here to, to Publix? How many people, if you had to, if you're like, man, I love meat, a.k.a. the pastor, you know? And if they said, Mickey, you've got to raise your own meat or not you're going to be a vegetarian. Number one, very quickly I would learn how to raise my own meat. But number two, I wouldn't know where to start. But raising them, knowing how much feed to give them, taking care of them, you know, doing all the things and then to actually slaughter them and be able to prepare that meat and get it ready so that you can actually cook it. Like how many of you admit right now, listen, I love a good steak. It's called Longhorn. I order it and they bring it to my table in 10 minutes. Amen? How many people that fits you? But if you had to actually raise your animals and eat your steak, you'd be like, well, it was a good run. That's kind of the concept I want you to get. It's very important for you to understand that what you look at in your time frame as us becoming more and more and more intelligent and more sufficient, if you were to look at it, we're actually learning how to do less and less and kind of dumbing ourselves down because we become dependent on other devices. We've all experienced this at where? The McDonald's. You're... Got a meal, you and your family, that's going to be $11.50. And you hand the cashier a $20 bill, and they look at you like, and you're like, I, I need my change back. My, my, my register's down. Well, I, I, I know, but you still got to give me my change back. I don't, I don't know how much to give you. Well, I, it's $11.50, and I gave you a 20 I know, but they didn't tell me how much. Well, let me help you out. You owe me $8.50. How do you know that? Because <laughs> I'm not dependent on the device. You catching what I'm saying if I beat this horse to death? See, in your mind, you think of older, Nathaniel, I can't even say the word now, cavemen as being dumb, not being able to do things. Another way to think about it is there's not anything that you have right now that wasn't invented from somebody back in the day. Somebody figured out how to make a light bulb glow, how to hold the gas, and burn some sort of, somebody figured out how to run electricity. Somebody set out how to have running water. Somebody set out how to build a phone to make it where you can go wherever. Like all these things are stuff that people have made, and it's no different. What this is telling you, listen to me, that, first, that third verse, it says, uh, And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick of stone and bitumen for mortar. So these people are literally saying, we know how to build major structures. Like before they had cranes. Anybody ever wondered, how did the pyramids come into existence? Because they were extremely intelligent. But they didn't have cranes and they didn't have all this uh, you know, machinery that we have now. Yeah, they were intelligent. They had the major resolve to be able to figure something out. They knew how to do these things. They had the ability to reason and work with their hands. We've lost a little bit of that. Now, I'm not bashing us. I'm just making sure you don't buy into the lie of a, something that's, that's not really a really good worldview, saying that we, we are less than, you know, back then compared to where we are now. Now, moving forward. So what are they building? Well, here's the story that you may have heard that you've never thought of it this way. 
Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower, and its tops in heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we, uh, lest we be spread out over the face of the earth. And the Lord came down to the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. And this is, the only, this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord uh, spread them out all over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Yes, this story is the Tower of Babel. Yes, it's one of those things that most people never spend time talking about. But it hinges a major, major event in God's Word that explains where we are today. See, catch this. When we are together, nothing is impossible. You say, Mickey, where do you get that from? That sounds sacrilegious. I I'm just telling you what God's Word says. Listen, it said right here, God, the Lord, said himself, Behold, they are one people and they have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. See, the amazing thing is they weren't building a tower to heaven to reach heaven. They were building structures. You know these structures. We have since completed the Tower of Babel. You call them skyscrapers. They've reached into the heavens. They've become these major structures. They've reached into these cities. They've become these major metropolises. Have you ever seen somebody that lives in Alaska compared to somebody that lives in New York City? In Alaska, they've got to learn how to do everything. They've got to go out and chop the tree down. They've got to shuck the bark off of it. They've got to somehow make this fit like a jigsaw puzzle to build their cabin. In New York City, they've got to pay to live in their whatever penthouse, to be able to walk down the street to go to the market. Do you see the difference? When we come together and we compile our resources and we compile our knowledge, the amazing things start taking place. Like how many of you, if right now I said, hey guys, we've got a major transportation issue. We need to invent a way for people to get around in our city. That you say, hey, I got it. We'll dig tunnels all underneath the city. And we'll brace these things. And we'll call it a subway. None of us are figuring that out. But when millions of people come together and their resources are multiplied and their cognitive ability is multiplied and they work together, it's amazing what people do. All of a sudden, we look at these skyscrapers and we go, wow, isn't that cool? Man, we've, you know, we've got this one building in our city and it's like 10 stories high. And then you go to somewhere like Houston or New York or L.A. or go over into Japan and you go, wow, this building is 150 stories high. And it all happened because the power of people when they come together. You say, Mickey, are, are you like saying, yeah, that a boy, let's go get together. No, I want you to understand how powerful people can be together. But even in that question, there's one flaw. Because it's not how powerful you are together because you really can't measure that. But what you can measure is the motives. See, there's one particular verse that changes this whole story. And it's verse 4. Can I reread that? 
Verse 4 says this. Then they said, these are the people, come let us build ourselves a city and a tower. Was there anything wrong with that? Nope. Was there anything wrong with building a city or a tower? Nope. Did they have the ability to do it? Sure did. They said they were going to make these bricks and they were going to heat them up and that was going to harden these bricks. Genius, right? They are genius. They're figuring out how to start building major structures. Very intelligent people. One flaw. Listen to these words. With its tops in the heavens. And then here, underline if you have a paper Bible, highlight if you're on an electronic version. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. See, the one issue at the Tower of Babel that changed everything is the motive behind their together was flawed. See, their whole power that they had was all built because they were no longer doing things for the God who gave them the ability and created them. They were doing something because they were wanting to make a name for themselves. Do you know what normally breaks down most people's together? Selfish intentions. If you've been around athletics for any moment, you know what that means. Whenever there is somebody on a team that says, I don't want to do what the team wants to do, I want to do my own thing, immediately the team gets weaker. Whenever you find one person that's consumed with their own selfish intents, imagine if the whole team felt like that. That's what was going on. Two things were happening that was a big issue, if you're taking notes. Number one, they were wanting to build a name for themselves. They were no longer doing things to glorify God. And then secondly, they were going directly against God's command in their life because they said, unless we be dispersed. In other words, we don't want to fill the earth anymore. Why is that a big deal? Because in Genesis, in fact, I wrote the scriptures down so you can have them. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, the first commandment, he said, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. And if you keep reading, he says, and even the birds of the air and the fish of the sea and the animals, on all of those things, you will have dominion over them. In other words, there was a major concept when God created this world that not only were we supposed to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, but we had dominion over the animals. We had a relationship with the animals. You say, well, why do we have a relationship with them? How does that work? Like, why would something come to us if we're eating it? Well, maybe we're not eating them. See, in the beginning, I'm going to give you a little quick history lesson. In the beginning, we didn't eat animals. In the beginning, we, we existed with animals, had dominion over animals, and animals would help us do what we had to do to take care of the land and work the land. We didn't eat them. Not only did we not eat them, but because we didn't eat them, we had dominion over them, and guess what? Animals weren't fearful of us. Hence the reason why when God tells Noah to get one of every kind, a male and a female. Well, how did he do that? That'd be so hard to chase these animals down. Who said he chased them? He had dominion over them. They had a relationship. They would come to him. You say, oh, now, Mickey, you're, you're making stuff up right now. Well, look, can I read you a scripture? Chapter 9. Chapter 9, let me start with verse 1, because even in verse 1, it gives you the same thing. It says, and God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now, listen to verse 2. I'm fixing to give you guys the answer that's on a lot of your minds when it comes to the ark and how this thing is set up. Listen to verse 2. Something extremely important happens after the flood. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hands they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. 
In that one verse, in chapter 9, verse 2, is where we understand for the first time, animals become fearful of men. For the first time, animals become food. Before the ark, we're taking care of them. We have dominion over them. How many people have a dog or a cat? Do they run from you? If you have a cat, they do. Cats run from everything. I don't even know why you guys have cats. But anyway, that's a sign. i got to be careful. i got to chase a rabbit. One of you be mad at me. But you have a dog, and because of the way you take care of that dog, that dog will do whatever you want it. That dog sleeps in your bed. That dog eats food when you make it. Like, I know people, and there's nothing wrong with this. Like, they will make their dinner, and a part of the food that they make is for the dog. Like, they literally feel like we had roast and green beans, and, and it's like, here you go. And the dog's like, mm, and the dog loves them. Why? Because you're taking care of them. What if all of a sudden your dog all of a sudden going, you know what? Every time I come around these people, this behavioral conditioning, they try to eat me. You know what's going to happen? They're not going to keep coming around. Do you understand what's going on with you mentally? Your perspective? See, we have it in our minds that animals have always been fearful of man. That is something that happened after the flood. So after the flood, because God put the fear of man into animals, because now we have to go learn how to hunt. We have to learn how to fish. We're going to start eating these animals. Why did he do that? But he honest with you, because we'd probably wipe them all out. If fishing was easy, I guarantee there wouldn't be any fish. Why? Because we like to eat. It's a way of keeping things populating. But as you keep going, the key to this whole thing is the fact that because of their motives, because of their motives, they start building this tower. And because of their motives, they say, not only do we want to build this to make a name for ourselves, but we want to build this so that we won't be dispersed all over all the earth. That directly went against God's first commandment for every single person. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. See, boy, i got to be careful with this one. When you have major metropolises and major cities, in those cities becomes unbelievable power. Like, if you were ever to look at something, I'm not saying this happened. I'm not saying I've heard this. I'm just assuming up here. But you could probably have an election, and it would boil down to the major metropolises rather than the rest of the country. I'm just saying. Because that's where most of the people were dwelling. Because when you get major metropolises and major cities, not only do you multiply the resources, not only do you multiply the desires, not only do you multiply all the capability that humans can do, but you also limit the ability to what people think and what they stand on. Because you can start leveraging the resources that are available to them to start telling them this is what you really should think and this is how you should really move forward. You say, Mickey, prove that. I don't have to prove it. You're already thinking exactly what I'm not going to say from the stage. And God says, this is not good. He comes down to earth. He sees the city that's being built. He sees the tower they're starting. And he says, they're too powerful. Together with the same language, with the same purpose, with the wrong motive, this is not good. We've got to do something about it. And then this amazing word comes into our life called confusion. And he disperses the people throughout all the earth. And he confuses them by giving them a different language. There's only one other time 
in God's word that he addresses humans with the aspect of language. We're going to talk about it in a minute, but I want to make sure you understand what's going on. See, the aspect of together, why is it important? Is because it's always been our greatest strength. Now, you've heard people add to it saying that diversity is your greatest strength, which is a little bit of truth there. But it's really not as much as diversity, as much as commonality that really becomes your greatest strength when it's with the right motive. See, with the right motive, amazing things can happen. Because again, when you come together, here's some things that I wrote down. When you come together, you have an unbelievable ability to have problem solving and resources multiplied. When you come together with the same motives, you have a major influence that's built. When you come together with the same motives, all of a sudden progression or digression happens quickly. See, that's one of the main things I want you to understand. When you have a large people that comes together, one of two things normally happens, and it happens very quickly. Progression, moving forward, or degression, moving backwards. But it's always one or the other, depending on the motive. So God does what he does, and in the Tower of Babel, he sends everybody dispersed throughout the whole world, and he confuses their language. Yes, this is the reason why you have people groups all over our world. Yes, this is the reason why you have so many different languages. Yes, this is the reason why when Columbus sailed, he found Native Americans. Yes, you could use this scripture, and it is factually true that God dispersed people throughout the whole world. And in that process, the longer they lived in that particular region, then they started to adapt to that environment, and it started changing the different concepts of who they were. And their language changed who they were. But that's not what I want us to focus on and end with. I want us to end with the other concept that God talks about language. The first, he's talking about breaking their language because they were so powerful and doing the wrong thing. But I want to end on a positive note. What happens if we have the right motive? Are you guys with me? A lot of you are pretty intrigued right now. I need to do a series on creation and Genesis and really give you some more stuff because a lot of you are going, I've never heard this. Well, you may not be listening to the right people. But one other area that he talks about this aspect of language is in Acts chapter 2. Let me show you how powerful you can be with the right motives. Acts chapter 2. Some of you are fixing to get your mind really blown because we're going to talk about something that's probably the most confusing thing when it comes to the local church. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together. If you have a paper Bible, underline that word together. Electronic, highlight it. They were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. That was the Holy Spirit. God is descended. He's sending his spirit. The spirit is filling this room. Keep reading. Sit in this, uh, filling the entire room where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance. Anybody ever wondered what the gift of tongues was? I'm fixing to give you a very biblical definition of the first account of the aspect of tongues. And I'm going to give you exactly what it was used for. And then I'm going to let you study God's word and you figure out what it really means. Keep reading. So this tongue sets on everybody. Why? Because he's already divided everybody, right? 
Because of how powerful they were together, he had to turn around and have the Tower of Babel. He confused everybody. He dispersed them all over the earth. And now there's this concept going on where they can't communicate because when they can communicate, they start doing crazy things. But now there's a right motive. And God's wanting to build something greater because their hearts are pure. So now when all these people gather together, he comes back down. The exact opposite of the first time. He sees what they're doing. He knows it's of worth. So now he starts to give them the gifts of tongues, not to confuse them, but to unite them. And listen to how it unites them. Now, they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men of every nation, that's key, under heaven. And at the sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we how is it that we near each of us in his own or we hear each of us in our own language? The original concept of tongues was the aspect of bringing people together so that they would have one language, so they could be empowered again, so they could go do something great because of their motives. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but it's not talking about a prayer language. I'm not here to have a doctrinal study with you. But I'm telling you what God's Word says. You can look at the two concepts where he talks about tongues. One, he did it to confuse them. You know how he confused them? Language. The second, he did it to unite them. You know how he did that? Language. He had them speaking, and when they spoke, it wasn't something for them to communicate with God. It was something for them to communicate with each other. They had the ability to understand each other. So when somebody starts speaking in tongues and nobody understands what they're doing, God says, "Mm -mm, be careful, there needs to be an interpreter. Why? Because language has always been meant to communicate with people, not to confuse people. Well, Mickey, what's your stance on tongues? It's in God's Word. I believe it. But I do not believe it's the author to be confusing. I do not believe it's something to draw people apart. It should be something that brings people together. And anytime people are using tongues and it's not bringing people together, I would tell you that's a red flag. You need to be careful because that the Tower of Babel. He's wanting to empower you so that you can be together again. And then it starts naming all these different nationalities that can understand each other, and they were bewildered, and they were amazed. And then listen to verse 11, the second part of it. It says, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? If you've heard a debate any time recently about the gift of tongues, realize that's been a biblical concept ever since the book of Acts. Even back then, they are going, what does this mean? In the next verse, it says, some people were saying that they were drunk of wine. But that's not what was going on. Can I give you a very real biblical concept of what tongues is for? The gifts of tongues is to help you communicate the amazing works of God so that everybody could understand. The gift of tongues is something that God gives for you to communicate the amazing works of God so that all can understand. It's not something for you to put yourself on a platform. 
It's not something for people to look at you. It's, to, it's for you to point people to God and to say, you know what? Together, are you understanding what I'm saying? Because of who God is, we can come together with the right motives and we can do something amazing. Mickey, what was the amazing? Well, it follows up. Some people start accusing him that they were drunk of wine. And old Peter steps up. He says, that's not true. And then he gives an amazing message at Pentecost where 3,000 people that day accept Christ as their Lord and Savior. And you know how they all accepted Christ? Because they could all understand what he was saying. See, God has a way when you start speaking the right things with the right motives, it can transcend your differences and it can bring people together to have a major impact. But he doesn't stop there. The rest of chapter 2 is not only this, this Pentecostal message where 3,000 people on that day receive Christ, but it also is the birth of what we would call the local church. Where all of a sudden it says, and they devout themselves to biblical teachings, to the teachings of the prophets. And they were gathering together from house to house, eating and drinking and being one, selling their possessions and giving to those that were in need. And then it kicks off the end of chapter 2, beginning of chapter 3, right after all this is going on. Well, all of a sudden, here comes Peter and John going to the temple to pray, fired up to give thanks about everything they're seeing God doing, and they run across this one lame man that's begging for silver and gold. And they look at this man, and they say, silver and gold, I do not have, but what I do have in the name of Jesus Christ, I say, get up and walk. And in that moment, the church hit hyperdrive, and it's the reason why we gather together. You go spend some time studying the book of Acts. You want to study this week? Start reading chapter 3 and go through that concept and see how powerful and how Caiaphas and all these Sanhedrin start reacting when they can't explain the man that has been paralyzed all these years, like everybody knows who he is, is now walking around and worshiping and celebrating. Why did that happen? Because people came together. You say, Mickey, why is this important? Well, if you're not catching what I'm throwing yet, let me make it as simple as possible. People will come together. It's not a matter of why or why not it's important. The reality is it is going to happen. People will come together. And when they come together, they will either progress or degress. The million-dollar question is which one are you going to be a part of? One story, they're building a tower, but because of their motives to make a name for themselves and to go against God's word, is this aspect of human independency? We don't need God. We can do our own thing. We don't need to disperse across the earth. We'll all have this own little city, our own little metropolis. We're all better together. And if we're all better together, then we don't need God anymore. And God says, whoa, this ain't good. And he scatters them. Well, all of a sudden, he takes a handful who because of who Jesus was in their life, they gather them together and they say, you know what? No matter how great I am, no matter how great we are, there's a greater person that we all worship named Jesus Christ. And God says, oh man, 
Now that is good. Let me empower you. Let me, let me magnify your together. Let me help you to do something bigger than yourself. Let me let you communicate with each other. Let me let you respond to each other. Let me let you build a family together. Let me let you become my church in which I'm going to celebrate. And it's going to be so powerful that even the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. And I'm going to let you be the greatest vehicle to take the gospel of Jesus Christ through the uttermost parts of the world. In those people with the same message is the ability to go from eternal death and damnation to eternal life and a relationship with Christ. And when did it start? When they stopped worrying about what they wanted. And they started getting consumed with what he wanted. Very, very, very simple question. If in together lies the greatest power, then the question is, how are we using it? If you were encouraged by today's podcast and would like to experience other talks, visit us at crcconline.com.